Hey, if you're not following me on Instagram, go check me out at SPTGY33. That is the handle. I put up a photo this week of my room, sophomore year in college, early 1991 range. That is an amazing time capsule of that era. I'm embarrassed by it. I'm delighted by it. I'm proud of it. Go check it out. Check out my Instagram. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Duncan. I love Duncan. Duncan just dropped a new kind of energy. They call it sparked energy. I mean, they have peach sunshine. I'm a huge peach guy. Like peach with drinks, I feel like is one of the most underrated drink combo kind of starter things that we have. Well, in this case, these are delicious. They're packed with caffeine and vitamins and minerals that give me the energy I need to get through the day. And a medium is $3 now through March 19th. So drop by and get Sparked by Duncan. Sparked energy drinks are fruit flavored, contain 0% fruit juice. Beverages contain caffeine from caffeine and guarana. Participation may vary. Limited time offer, terms apply. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up a new rewatchables on Monday night. We did Mission Impossible Fallout, one of the best action movies of the 21st century. Meet Chris Ryan, Craig Horlbeck. That is up. That was the last rewatchables podcast of 2022. Next week, we are starting One Word Movie Month. Every movie in January will have a one word title. That is your only hint. Can't wait uh, to unleash the first five of 2023 on you. Can't wait to unleash this podcast on you. Jay Kyle Mann came on. We taped this after the games tonight. We were going to do a whole Jokic thing coming off the Kings Nuggets game. And then uh, Luka Doncic decided to casually put up a 60-21-10. So the first segment's about Luka. Then we have a giant Jokic-gasm, including uh, a big thing that we had planned about what is the most fun possible team you could put together of five guys from NBA history. Not best team, fun team. So we did that. And then after Kyle, Ben Solak came on from the ringer to uh, talk about his five biggest questions heading into the last six weeks, weeks of the season, including the playoffs. So it's today's pod. It's fantastic. First up, our friends from Pro Jam. All right, taping this a little before 9.30 Pacific time. Jake Kyle Mann is here. We were going to talk about Nikola Jokic. We had a whole thing planned. But the great thing about the NBA, there's so many good players. You just kind of never know who's going to steal the spotlight on a random Tuesday night podcast. Luka Doncic, 60 points, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. Not even Will Chamberlain has done that. So let's talk Luka a little, and let's talk all these great guys we have now, and then we can ease into... Uh, 
Jokic. I was thinking about Luka during this game. He's over 8,000 points now. He's 23 years old. And by the end of this season, he'll be pretty close to 10,000, assuming he doesn't get hurt. LeBron, after five years, was 10,689. He had had two first-team All-NBAs, two second teams. Luka already has three first-team All-NBAs. Today was the first night I was thinking like, man, LeBron better keep playing. Don't, <laughs> don't wrap it up after you get to 38,000 because I don't know what Luka is capable of. What were you thinking as you were watching tonight? I, I, I actually, the amazing thing about this game was he had a great game and the flow of it. I mean, they were down nine with like 44 seconds to go. And that's kind of another thing about the NBA is like, it's the uh, there's always the FOMO thing where you're like you're afraid you're gonna you're afraid you're gonna miss something so they string you out and I guess that's the value of the product right they keep you on but I think the thing about LeBron that you're that you're talking about is really true and something I've thought about a lot is just sort of the timeline of the way these like great great players get better like and I know you've watched NBA your whole life so you've seen this happen it's like guys when they hit that prime range very often they will start to add things, little nuanced things in their in their natural thing that like got them to where they were. Like LeBron started to add things around like 2013. I know we're going to talk about wine bottle guys. Earlier, yeah, I would say 12. Yeah, he started adding a little stuff around the basket yeah. that he just didn't have before. And I remember, and uh, we were we were joking about, um, you know, Sharks missed this incredible 60-point game. What would he have yeah. said? But I remember... One of the big conversations he and I had was just like his, Lucas timeline is so accelerated. The things that he's adding at this age are kind of unprecedented. And like Jamal Crawford was talking on NBA TV about like the way he plays and how it's going to age. Uh, and he was just saying like Luca plays the way like an NBA player would play if they went to the park and was playing against like teenagers. He's just like you can't. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that's really good go play against normies that like they just play in like slow motion and you can't do anything with them. And that's how Luca plays. And it's it's scary to think of like what's he going to be like when he's 27, 28 years old. Like uh, this is just kind of unprecedented stuff developmentally. Yeah. Yeah. So LeBron, his fifth season was when he made the finals in 07. And he had put up basically years two through five. He was 29, seven and seven all the way through for that four year stretch, 48% shooting. Wasn't anywhere close to where he ended up two years later with the back-to-back -back MVPs. And then he goes up another level, the second and third Miami seasons. And that was when that 2013 Miami season in my opinion, was peak LeBron, where he's he was flirting with 60% shooting for a lot of the year. They won the 27-game winning streak, and just athletically, he was at his peak. He was probably the either the best defensive player in the league or one of them. Offensively, he was doing everything. So that was when he kind of turned into the queen of the chessboard a little bit, where it's just mm. like, oh my God, this is the magic MJ with a little bird that we kind of always thought was going to happen. And you're right, Lucas 23 he's not going to peak for at least four more years. I think the difference for him potentially versus LeBron is how is he going to take care of his body? And I know people have mm -hmm. talked about this over and over again, but LeBron took care of his body always, always. From the moment that 08 series against the Celtics, when he lost that jump ball with Pierce, and Pierce was just stronger than him. He came back the next year. He was different level of strength. And his durability and his strength has been one of his calling cards. He's always gotten bigger and stronger, basically from 09 to 2018. 
I don't know about Luca. Like even tonight after the incredible game, he joked about he was going to go have a recovery <laughs> beer. At some point, he's going to have to give up all that stuff and any bad food and the sweet tea and the beer and all that. And it's just going to have to be, I'm devoted to basketball. He might not be wired that way. And that might be what made LeBron like just slightly different than almost everybody else. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had a beer after basketball, but really, there's really not much better. I don't know. That's something I do in the summer all the time when I play, (laughs) which is probably why I I have a belly. But uh, no, I mean, (laughs) he, yeah, he he has a different type of strength. And I I was listening to some people talk about like Luca's athleticism. I don't I don't know what what it what it is that's gonna finally motivate him to do that. I mean, I feel like the the like play yourself into shape thing was a little less glaring this year for him but um he just he just has that insane like core like corn fed kind of strength and as so long as he like i don't know i don't know how he needs to change his body honestly uh just because you can't move him and and i don't agree with people that say he's not athletic because i think athleticism's a little more nuanced than people realize like luca has such crazy micro dialed in control of his body uh, in terms of like he, like how he can start and stop so herky jerky, and that's why he's such a matchup problem. I mean, like tonight you were watching it, any kind of person you put on him, there's going to be a caveat. There's only like certain types of guys that can really bother him effectively, consistently. Um, and he was bullying those those Knicks smaller guards, and when he gets a big guy on him, he just toys with them. Um, I don't know. I don't, do you think he needs to get into like insane LeBron shape, or can he even get into that type of shape? You know. The thing he has at this point of his career that LeBron just didn't have at all, not even close, is his bully ball stuff. That stuff LeBron didn't really have to like the second, third Miami season. And even then, he didn't really have it until he got to Cleveland. That was when he really filled out and he started to develop this power game and was able to mix in the perimeter stuff with the low post stuff. I felt like that evolved as he was in Miami. And it was always the great what if with him, you know, and then started that 2011 finals when, you know, the J.J. Bray, all that stuff. And that was when we wondered, like, hey, is this guy, is this guy going to figure out how to solve this? And then by 2016, he had it solved. And Luca can already do it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where I'm just like, you know, he's never going to be the crazy athlete LeBron was. But it does feel like he has a little more to his game at this point than I think LeBron did in year five. You know, and they're basically the same age, right? Luca came in as a baby. LeBron came in as a baby. And by year five, I didn't realize, Luca. I'd for, kind of forgotten this, that he's four seasons, three first-team All-NBAs already. Mm. It's kind of bonkers. Like, even LeBron didn't do that. So, you know, I think nights like tonight are when we really start wondering, you know, you think like, oh, we'll never see another LeBron again, and Luca's going to be his version of Luca. But at the same time, you know, maybe this is a thing where, like, every 15, 16, 17 years, a guy like this comes into the league. You know, before before LeBron, it was Jordan. He came in in the mid 80s. And maybe that's just how this is going to go. I still, the thing I think is the biggest benefit for him compared to what LeBron had. LeBron comes into the league. It's mid 2000s. They're making all these rules changes, but it really takes like five, six years. The spacing was not there at all. And you can watch the games from back then. And it's really not rough. Now, like I remember Tyler Parker wrote a great piece for The Ringer about Jokic's passing uh, last spring. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the points of the piece was like, when you have this much space all the time for Jokic, it's the greatest thing ever for what his skill set is. Like now the passing angles, it's almost like a, a quarterback 
who has, you know, four receivers spread and could just pick the defense apart. And that's what LeBron didn't have. LeBron really grew up in the worst possible era for him. The game started to space out. Curry comes in 2013. That's when the spacing and the threes and all that stuff comes in. And it's much more fun to play now. And that's the biggest advantage I think Luca has. Yeah, I think so. And I think that like you're right about like LeBron's body type. And I think that kind of gets forgotten to history because we think of him as this big, like hulking Thanos, powerful dude, which that stuff really came later. Like you're 100 percent right. And like his like bullying to the rim and like the finishing stuff. He was always a great finisher. But when he came to the league, he was more of a like spindly, like athletic perimeter guy like that had some of that stuff. And he started physically maturing and stuff like that you're right like that that gave him another angle of the floor to to work from and it ushered in some of those like small ball lineups that that Miami used so effectively um but you know Luca Luca goes about it a little I don't know if he's like the exact he's similar to LeBron I think in the fact that he can like physically get in the middle of the floor and exploit like the the width of the floor really well um but I think he he leans Luca's so interesting because for as great a passer as he is, I still think that he leans scoring. Like he has a big appetite to score the ball. Um, and it's a little bit di- like the ball doesn't flow through him kind of the same way that like LeBron does. You know what I mean? Especially those early first five years, LeBron, that was the big criticism of him, right? What does he score more? He's too unselfish. There was the the Washington series when he passed up the game-winning shot because he made the right play. That I can barely remember. It was so long ago, but that was really was a criticism of him. I think the usage stuff with Luca. I don't ever remember LeBron having... Like, Luca's usage rate right now is 37%. This is veering into, like, Westbrook-Harden territory. And I, I you know, I, I never felt like LeBron wanted to have the ball that much. But he would, you know, and there were playoff games where he would have to. But for the most part, um, the Dallas offense is a little more Luka-centric. At the same time, they're in the same position where LeBron never really had any great teammates. And, you know, neither did Luka. Look at the team he's on now. He lost his best teammate. is on the Knicks. And you look at the guys now, he's running pick and rolls with Christian Wood, who... Every time he rolls, even though I know that's what he's known for, it still kind of looks like a deer on skates a little bit. Yeah, uh, all the shooters he have he has are are pretty erratic, for the most part, right? Like Bullock will be terrible for a month, and all of a sudden he'll make them for a month, and then he'll you know. Um, so that reminds me a little of the LeBron Cleveland thing too, when he made the finals with what was that? Delonte West, Eric Snow. Booby Gibson's um, always the name yeah, that Booby comes Gibson. up. <laughs> so that part's a little similar too. But yeah, it's weird. It wasn't until tonight that I really started thinking about year five LeBron and year five Luca. Yeah, I think the superstar sort of like stacking things on is something you can really compare them to. And I was I was thinking about um like the one of the challenges we've talked about this a lot. I've made videos on this subject or just talked about this, that like the one of the challenges of having a floor raising player like Luca or LeBron is that you have to you kind of have to have a front office that's pretty competent because you're not going to have a timeline on your team that not that you never you you always need a competent front office but like you're not going to be able to build through the draft cuz you're not going to have like a core of guys that are young that are with him because Luka comes in the Dennis Smith thing obviously is like dissonant and not going to work and it's obvious and they get rid of him but he immediately is a guy who can lead a team which we saw that in Europe people underestimated it stupidly I don't know why he was 18 years old and second best league in the world, but 
he comes in and they just make they make your team so good that you're just not going to be able to get like the draft capital that you would need to like build a young core. And that's a challenge. I mean, and I, Dallas has had I've, I've been interested to see how they've pieced this together because it was like people were kind of down on Dinwiddie. He fit hypothetically next to them. They took a chance. It's kind of worked. Christian Wood, same kind of thing, a distressed asset. I, it, it's a jalopy plane that I'm going to be interested to see if they can, how long they can keep it in the air. But if you're going to get brilliant historic performances like like this, like we got from Luca tonight, I mean, I, how can you underestimate him? Who are you going to like in a series in the West? Who are you afraid of if you're Dallas? Who can't you beat? Well, and I think Jokic is similar in that respect. Like you just don't want to see those guys in a series because you're not going to have the best guy in the series. You never want to play a playoff series where you don't have the best guy. The Celtics had that happened to them in the finals last year, right? Mm-hmm. Felt like they probably had a slightly better team, but Curry was the best guy in the finals. The the piece with Luca, another thing that reminds me of the LeBron thing is what you just said about the guy kind of pushes your timetable faster than maybe you expected. And then you feel like you got to make, you know, these moves and signings and you're clogging the cap and you can't you know, you can't like grow organically because you feel like we have a window now. This guy is one of the best players in the league. We got to win now. And you look at their team and it's, it's a hard team to improve. You know, like they were mm-hmm. able to get out of the Porzingis contract, but they also had to take on a pretty bad Berton's contract in that trade. And Porzingis is better than either guy they got in the trade. I mean, on paper anyway, even though I yeah. think that it was a better fit what they got. But you look at like all the guys that are probably going to become available over the next two, three months and their pick situation, it's just going to be really hard. You know, they have all these protections on all these different picks. It's going to be hard to, to kind of tinker with the team. That's why I was saying a couple weeks ago, I would have moved on Kyrie when that, that 10, as crazy as that even sounds, that 10 days where it just seemed like Kyrie might be out of the league. That was the kind of swing they needed to take, you know? And, and, I, I would have thought about it if it was like, didn't, all right, we'll give you your get out of jail free card with this Kyrie whole thing. We'll take them. You take Dinwiddie and Powell and we'll roll the dice. I do think they need to make a high risk move like that. Maybe they feel like Christian Wood was already the move. But when he's, this guy's averaging 33, nine and nine right now, a 33 yeah. and a half, nine and nine. You got, you got to figure out like, how, especially with the West wide open, how can you take a swing? I just don't know what the swing is. Yeah, I've looked through. I, I was talking with our guy Jason Gallagher about this the other day. Like, what would the move be? I mean, the thing is, like, uh, and this is where they miss Bronson is that like Luca is just like a, a big dude in a canoe. Like he tips the canoe to his side of the floor, like you know. And it's like when you reverse the ball, when he when he reverses the ball, and he's a freaking genius at it. The guy who catches the ball has a split second to make a decision on, on this imbalanced floor and like the higher quality, the more of a threat that guy's to score and the higher quality, like quick decision time, you know, the, the more ability he has to do that. That's who you're looking for. That The problem is in today's NBA that's so spread out, you're, it, it's kind of like going to a flea market. I know we, we talk sometimes about like buying vintage stuff. It's like going to a flea market. Everybody knows what everything's worth now. You're not going to get a steal on those guys because those are the most, insanely like those quick decision makers that we're going to talk about Jokic, the best of the best at that you're not going to be able to steal one of those guys and, and they're expensive so it's like you're going to have to take a chance on somebody maybe that's undervalued i don't even know who that would be at dinwiddie was one and he's a start but you need another you know because I, th- I feel like they kind of have some of the big stuff in a place where it's passable but i think they need that one more guy and like 
Brunson was that drink stirrer like that for them. Yeah. So like Kuzma is an example of somebody that I think is going to be available over the next six weeks. It's 13 million a year. But you look at what Dallas actually has. They owe this protected first to the Knicks that's protected one through 10 in 23, 24, 25. So they basically can't touch it. So they have their own first in 27 through 29, possibly in 26. So they could do one of those. They have Josh Green. They have Jaden Hardy, who they took in the second round. Powell's an expiring and Wood's an expiring. That gets them to 25. You add Bullock, that can get them to 35. They got Bertans, who's on a uh, multi-year at 16. Dinwiddie's only guaranteed 10. So they, they can put any kind of, like if Beal became available, they could have the contracts and match for Beal. They just don't have the, the, the chips to be like, all right, here are all the contracts plus this. And in their case, this is like Josh Green, an unprotected 2029 pick. Like it's not really enough, which is why, like you said, they're, you start swimming in that like Duncan Robinson type of pool mm. of, oh, Duncan Robinson, you know, little distressed asset. He's decent, decent, pretty terrible contract, but not too horrible. Um, maybe we throw Bertons back to Miami, get Robinson on a longer deal. You start looking at those moves. And I, I just think, they need something a little more substantial than that. I wish I knew what it was. The, the thing is with Wimbledon, we're going to see a bunch of teams just say, fuck it. We're going to see, I think, Washington. You could see Detroit. Like Bogdanovich might be out there. And that's a, somebody who could be a game changer for uh, for Dallas. So, you know, I, you know my feeling on windows. The West is open. You have this guy. You got to kick the tires. I just don't know what the move is. Yeah, don't be conservative, but I guess the balance is don't be stupid, you know, and it's I, right. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the types of guys out there. You're, you're trying to add playmaking in guys who don't necessarily need the ball uh, and those. I mean, like a, a Josh Hart is an interesting guy. Um, yeah, like you were saying, Beal is great, but that that's a really expensive swing. Um, I mean, they, they took a chance with like a super flyer. I don't even know flyer is the word on what they did with Kim, <laughs> but yeah. uh, it, it was just a, a, a lark. But um, yeah, that, that's going to be the big challenge for them. I, I don't know where that player is going to come from. Well, we're going to talk about Jokic in a second. Last thing on that 60-21-10, he actually pulled off basketball's version of the onside kick, the perfectly executed brick free throw that bounced off two hands and went back to him and then he put it back up. That happens once a year. <laughs> is it that often? I, how often does like that? Like two success... times every three years. Yeah. And he did it. So on top of this amazing game, he actually pulled off. It was like if somebody scored five touchdowns in an NFL game and pulled off the onside kick that they recovered themselves and then took it in overtime and won. It was it was really something and for the Knicks. A horrible. I mean, they have they've had two horrible losses to Dallas this year. That's one that just sets you back. Where last week was, oh, the Knicks feeling good, and now they're back to square one. All right, we really want to talk about Jokic. That Lucas somehow hijacked this podcast for twenty minutes. When we come back, we're going to talk a little Jokic. If you're looking to get more out of this NBA season, now is the perfect time to download FanDuel America's number one sportsbook. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Safe, care, super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to touchdown scores to over-under yards to basketball games and parlays. I've been hitting 
my same game parlays lately, hit one on Christmas. Denver to win with the Jokic double-double in the Aaron Gordon dunk game. We're going to go for it again on Wednesday. Check my Twitter because I will be tweeting a FanDuel same game parlay. Maybe they'll even boost it. Who knows? FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. FanDuel now live in Maryland, home of Joe House. Marylanders, make sure you get in on the action also with great offers, boosts, and everything else just for you. Don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in free bets. When you join FanDuel with promo code BS, make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued is non withdrawable. Free bets that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights bad weather, you want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax, knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. All right, so I texted you, Kyle, man, and I said, I want to talk Jokic. I want to figure out if we could grab anyone in history, what would be the most fun five guys we could put together? And the caveat was, I just think Bird and Magic and Jokic have to be three of the five. So who are the other two? And now people listening and be like, well, why those three? What about Jordan? What about LeBron? What about Kobe? We're talking about pure fun. And for me, the basketball that I grew up watching, the basketball that I care about the most is the unselfish guys cutting passes that you could never expect, passes a split second before any normal human being could even see the pass. And then at some point, this greater sense kind of arises from the team. I watched that with the Celtics and the Lakers when I was a kid. It's still my favorite kind of basketball. There's been other guys that have floated in and out of that world, like like Bill Walton in the 1977 Blazers. I wrote about that in my book. There was a little bit of Sabonis, even though he was washed up on the Blazers. But for the most part, Magic and Bird always levitated above everybody else with this. There was some sort of collective, unselfish something that those teams had that were just different than any other type of basketball team. And look, there's been other examples, right? Like, I think the 2013 Heat, they they hit some sort of thing during that 27-game winning streak that was Mm -hmm. really, really special. I think the stuff Curry and Draymond do um, and have done for the last eight years and the guy and the way that the Warriors play with each other. And there's an unselfishness with that too. But there's something different when somebody is just has freak vision, freak everything. And Jokic has it. And watching Sunday night was the first time I was like, this guy's actually probably better than Bird offensively. Oh. And yeah, like because he's taller. Yeah. I think they have all the same skill set. I think Bird Are was you a better okay? Sh- yeah, you, I'm okay. <laughs> I think Bird was a better shooter. Bird one more. Jokic has a lot to go to catch up with him. I'm just talking about the unselfish passing thing. 
Jokic's his body and the fact that he's taller than Bird was and he can see over people, it opens up a couple different things that Bird couldn't really do. Like the his little screen little things that Jokic can do and then his ability to pass over the top and find cutters. And I've just never seen anything like it. Like this is like Walton... Walton had it for a brief time on Portland. He came back with the Celtics and off the bench he had it and it was amazing to watch. Jokic is doing this night after night after night, 38 minutes a game. When we saw Sabonis, Sabonis was basically washed. This guy is the best passing center ever and I really think he is on that level now with Bird and Magic for me as a passer. Whether he's going to win the titles and get there as an actual great basketball player, we'll find out. But as an offensive player, I just think he's as impactful day to day, week to week, quarter to quarter, half to half. We watched him tonight. We Our assignment was to watch the whole Kings game. He put up a 20, 10, and 9. They probably missed, what, 10 baskets that he gave wide open shots, layups, three-pointers. Like It was one of those games he easily could add 22 assists if his team had just been hot. I've never seen anything like it. You love, you've gone on a lot of YouTube deep dives. You've gone eras. You compared guys. I'm not overreacting with this, am I? I don't think so. I mean, I know I saw that you called out our guy Van Lathan about uh, his his issues with comparing them. I just think I think if you if you claw machine dropped Jokic onto those Celtics teams in Bird's place, or you dropped him on, I mean, there, it's not positionally a one for one. I just think that he he adds things. He's those guys are propped up. They are fantastic. I worship them as players. They had great front offices. And they were in incredible. They were in the smartest front offices in the league at the time, and they built these incredible teams. And credit to them. But I just think if if you're going to compare them, the things that Jokic does, and there's this like simple kind of truth about basketball. And I've I've been thinking a lot about how like cyclical the movements of basketball have been in the past few decades. You know. We had a time where we kind of forgot that the ball moves faster than a person can, you know, and that's the simple thing. And if that's true, then why hold the ball? And I think that we've seen a, an era of guys. Uh, we saw the heliocentric thing. It started where like, with MJ. It, so yeah. it starts mid 90s and we just never get out of it. Yeah, there was like an emulative ripple is what I always call it. It's like everybody wanted to be MJ. We were looking for the next MJ. Offenses were plotting assist rates were at like all time lows and things like that. And I think when the pace and the, and the, uh, the player control, like you can't touch players or player movement, freedom of movement, whatever you want to call it. Um, once that started to, to come on and the, and the, the warriors realized that they had a generational talent who can move without the ball. And, uh, they, they realized that passing the ball was the, the smart way to go. Um, Jokic, I think, is sort of a manifestation of that idea. Like we're seeing somebody who could go and dominate. He could go. We were talking about this. He could just choose to score 40 a night if he wanted to, if he was wired more like Luca. But he's more of a conduit. Like he's more than willing to, you know, if you single cover him and he's got a small guy, he has all the offensive stuff to go in. He can hit threes. He has crazy middle game. He's really big. I mean, that's something that people forget. Like he just bullies people as fumbling and as awkward as he is. But then the other thing is like, once he starts to do that, you start sending him help and he loves to do that stuff in the middle of the floor. He has figured he's mastered all the areas where he's, he's the, he does this thing I call the temperature dribble where he'll do the one dribble. He's not dribbling to go anywhere. He's dribbling to see what the defense is going to do. And if you watch Jokic do it, he'll take that dribble and see where it's coming from. Um, I don't know. I, I just think 
playing with him must be a lot of fun because whenever he gets the ball, his teammates take off running like a flag football team, like because they know they're going to get the ball. And it's just it's just so fun to watch, man. And that's what reminds me of Bird and Magic the most is the guys know they're going to get the ball if they get open. And when you know you, I have a chance to get a layup or a dunk or any sort of anything, if I just move, my guy's going to see me every time. That opens up this whole different level of basketball. And I really think out of anyone, it's those three guys. And again, there's going to be people listening and be like, well, LeBron's a great passer. Well, Steve Nash was a great passer. This is different. It just is because, first of all, I wrote down, he's one of the all-time what-do-you-do guys. And this is the level Bird got to in the mid-80s. And this was the level Magic got to when his offense really started to come up in the in the 87 range when he added that real low post game where the defense just, you kind of have to decide even going into the game. We saw it with Sacramento tonight. They said with Jokic, you know what? You're not scoring tonight. We're going to double you. We're going to pressure you. And Jokic is like, this is great. I'm going to have 30 assists. But his guys kept missing layups. But they basically hit two points at the half. And they were like, this is our decision tonight. We are not going to let you, you know, do whatever you want. We're going to try to make you get rid of the ball. And, and Jokic was like, beautiful, thank you. Um, <laughs> when you're a what-do-you-do guy, and now you could say Luca is a version of this too, right? But that's more of a... At some point, teams decide Luca makes some 27-footers. Like, if you make them, God, Godspeed, good luck. With Jokic... He is now, and the reason he's different, I know he just won two MVPs, but don't you feel it's a little different this year? I feel like he's elevated in a couple different ways. He's now so comfortable. I think part of it has to do with his team is just better. This is the best. Murray's back. Gordon has is just thriving. He didn't play tonight, but he is just the ultimate. It's everything we ever thought that trade could end up being for Jokic. He's been the perfect running mate. And then Porter has emerged as this every once in a while, like tonight, can just carry you for a quarter. You know, the bench is better. Bruce Brown, KCP. Um, but I just feel like Jokic, he's 27. I think he knows exactly who he is as a player. He's such a feel for the game. Like there'll be times when he knows the pace is wrong and he's the point guard and he'll push the ball up. Like he's like magic in 1982. It's um, like this fast break point guard. Sometimes he'll keep it and he has this rollicking, Drives to the basket, does that weird, crazy spin move that always seems like it's going to be a charge. It never is. He can post up. He can drop step you both ways. Uh, one of the things that I love about him, now I sound like I'm going to have a Jokic chasm. One of the things I love about him is his hands are so soft around the rim. I've never seen anyone oh, yeah. around. I guess Duncan might be the only one I can remember where it's just like his hands were just always just, just kind of dropping it in. Tip-ins, they weren't even really tip-ins. They're kind of like shots. So he has that. And then, you know, the inventiveness with the passes, his cross-court passes that that's Bird had probably had it too, but he has that extra couple inches where he could just zip them across. And uh, I just think he's got it all now. And it's not like he did in the last two years, but now it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the difference between like an A and an A plus, I guess would be the way I put it. So it makes yeah. sense. It does. Yeah. And I think that he, there are levels obviously to passing and you know, some of this is obvious, but it's like when help's coming, if you can see someone that's wide open and just fire it to them, he has all, he has the quick decision, you know, the, the Kodak brain thing. He has the, like, I can tip it to a guy that I know is open or yep. uh, the quick touch. Like the other night he did a, he did a really awesome, he set a screen for, I guess, Bruce Brown 
he knew Bruce Brown was good. That that's been an incredible marriage, by the way, which we knew on paper it would be, and it has delivered absolutely. But he threw that between the legs pass, which was just so like hilariously had so much like bravado on it. Uh, but uh, and and it was and it worked. But he has that thing too, where um, I, I'm pulling out all the like uh, Kyle Man cliche terms that I make up. But like he he crowbars passes open a lot that you wouldn't think are there, and he does it with his eyes. He's he's really good at like selling something. Luke is really good at this too. Is like stringing the fear of their offense to the very end and making the defense respect it. Like he yeah. can get all the way in the air and make the defense fully commit to him, and then like throw every pass in the book whether it's like a skip to the opposite corner or it's a dump off or it's a touch pass to a cutter he just he has every angle to punish you with either hand um and i think that's one of the hallmarks of like the great passers that nash was a master at that of like just stretching you out and 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 making you respect his his scoring and then dumping it off at the last minute he's he's master at it one of the things i love about this season i've watched a lot of denver this year i mean i bet they're over um, they're my favorite West Coast team to watch. Them, them in Sacramento, which was interesting about tonight. No Sabonis tonight, though. Um, his bad games aren't even bad. Like, you can catch Luca on the wrong night, and he's just like, he's firing up threes. They're not going in. Doesn't seem like anyone's having fun, and the Mavs just seem dead. Jokic can have a bad game. Like, tonight, I guess, counted as a bad game, right? Everything he does is additive. And I'm not trying to compare, oh, I'm a Jokic guy and not a Luca guy. I'll fully admit I love watching Jokic play basketball. I think one of the things I love about him, he's just so additive. Everything he does, like, he can have a shitty game, but he can still set picks. He can still get rebounds. He'll still find, like, three different ways to affect the game, and he's still such a threat. I was talking to somebody about it today, a friend of mine, and I was like, he he really reminds me of Tyreek Hill, as weird as it sounds, where Tyreek Hill is out there for the Dolphins, and no matter where he is, the entire defense, they're just thinking about it the whole time. He goes in motion. You see seven guys pointing and they're just terrified of him the whole time. And even if he's not doing anything, he's still affecting the game. And I think Jokic is like that every single play. And that's one of the reasons I love watching him. It really reminds me of what the 80, mid-80s Celts were like and watching like how Bird would just affect these plays and these quarters without even really doing that much. And Jokic can do that. He opens up so much. Everybody who plays with him is better. I saw the stat. Bruce Brown had, I think, 38% open shots last year in the Nets. And this year it's like 54%. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so it's like, I believe it. Uh, yeah. He's just, he, he's just getting what? 15% more looks just by being on the same team as Jokic. And you think like, Oh my God, like Jamal Murray hit the lottery. I would never leave Jokic. And that's another thing that Magic Bird had. Nobody wanted to leave those guys. You're on that guy's team. You're like, I never want to leave this guy's team. This is the most fun I'm going to have playing basketball. So I think this is important to have this conversation now because we're already like, it's only 35 games and people are already talking MVPs and now Jokic can't win again. He won the last two. I just think he's the most important uh all around everything player in the league. And there's lots of stats to back this up. But um, like every catch all stat has him number one right now. I, I was looking all at the it advanced. Like, yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the easiest one is the on court per 100 possessions, they're 122.8 points per game. He leaves, they drop to 101. They're plus 11.3 when he plays per 100. 
and they're minus 13.6 when he doesn't. Now, I don't love those stats because some of it has to do with the bench, but you can watch it in real time every time you watch a Nuggets game. I tweeted tonight that the 189 minutes of non-Yokage you could watch this year is as bad as Babylon. Um, <laughs> the, the, the moment he comes out, it's like you're watching a different team all of a sudden. It's like, oh, who invented the 2012 Bobcats? That's what it feels like. <laughs> the moment he sits down and it just for them becomes a race of, can we hold on for six minutes while he's done? And then he comes back in, then all of a sudden layups, open looks. And I just think, I actually think people aren't talking about it enough. What, what other stats impressed you with him? There, I mean, there are a lot. I mean, he, like you were talking about, and this has been said, the MVP fatigue thing is something that I guess we're just never going to be able to, we have a lot of great players right now, but like he has posted in the past five years, three of the top five all time uh, offensive box plus minus seasons ever. And this is one, this year is one of them. He's right on pace. And he's, and the crazy thing too, I was telling you that like, you want to play him as a score. He's, his true shooting percentage is 68.5. And for somebody who is like getting off the ball that quickly, um, something you go and you look at touch time. I always say this, like if you want, if you want to go look at like why his brain is a supercomputer, you look at the other guys in the league who have high assist totals and you look at how long they have the ball. He has it like seriously, like 66% less. Usually. I mean, it's like something crazy. He'll have the ball like two seconds a lot of times and, and still put up these things. But he saves guys from themselves in a way that that helps the team. And he just sort of like naturally filters out waste in your offense. Like like he sets Michael Porter Jr. up to be a, a shot maker. That's what Mike. Great. That's what Michael Porter Jr. wants to do. If you look at like the way that Aaron Gordon played in Orlando, I'm doing like a bar graph with my hands here. Like if you looked at like some he he for whatever was going on with Orlando at the time, this is what they chose to do. He like ran more pick and roll offense with Orlando. And when he went to Denver, it switched and it was like, okay, all of a sudden you got this big six, nine athletic strong guy cutting to the basket. Well, yeah, that's what, and, and he has a little bit of that passing in there too. But I think the thing you're right about like guys like bird guys, like Curry guys, like Luca guys, like Jokic, they automatically imply a certain type of geometry just because of fear. Yeah. Because like guys are going to be coming into the gap and if you're smart and you can get off the ball, like your teammates are going to be playing in like four on three, three on two situations. Uh, and as long as you have good decision makers out there, you're going to have great offense. And they do right now. They're second in the league in field goal percentage, second in the league in three point percentage, second in assists. Uh, they have a lot of cutting offense. It's just easy baskets, you know, and, and it's not all like coming from one place that you can bottleneck, you know, because he and gets off the ball so well. Yeah, and that was with a pretty slow Murray start too. I think I think they're gonna have a run at some point when he fully has his sea legs where I could see them getting to like one twenty five per one hundred, something like that. You mentioned the usage rate. It's one of the things I love about him. Twenty eight point six this year. That's when you go back and That's you look crazy. at the bird <laughs> crazy. magic seasons where bird of magic, they're like usage rate was twenty four, you know, and and people like LeBron and those guys are always like in the thirty three, thirty four range. Uh, Curry, people like that, the current guys. Luca, Harden, Westbrook now are high 30s, which basically means you have the ball at the time and the offense has to run through you. And it's just not the case with Jokic. Like he doesn't necessarily have to be involved all the time to be dominant. You mentioned a true shooting thing. True shooting, it's it's a stat 
I don't fully understand it, but I know if you're over 60, it's, it's, you want to <laughs> yeah. be in the sixties. There's a stat where, uh, no one's ever averaged 20 points per game with at least 69% true shooting. Now this is ever, even during days when we had like Wilt and people like that. Artis Gilmore averaged 18.5 a game on 70.2% true shooting in the 82 season. That's the thing with Jokic. And that's why I was comparing it to the 2013 Miami season LeBron had, where it's just like, there's been a refinement of the skills and an elevation, very subtle, but like everything is just a little more efficient and you can feel it when you're watching it. So he's right now going into tonight's game, 25.4 points, 11 rebounds, 9.4 assists. So he, I do think the assists are going to keep coming every game. I do think he'll be around a triple double by the end of the year. He's shooting 61.6%. His threes are down. He's 33.8 this year. Usually it's a little bit higher. Um, wind shares per 48 is over three, 0.302. And the, one of the things I love with the Nuggets, their assist turnover ratio when he's in is 2.32, which is nuts. Like teams, if you're over two, that's like staggering. Um, for the last three years, he's basically 27, 12 and eight and just looks like he's going to have, you know, one of these crazy careers for his career. He's 2010 and 6.4. Only other guy who ever was a 2010, five guy career was bird. Bird was 24, 10 and six. That's it. Just those two. And if you look at Bird's stats, 85 to 88 and Jokic's stats last three years, they're very similar. Jokic has more rebounds. Shooting's a little bit higher field goal percentage. But for the most part, usage, all the stuff, it's all pretty similar. And it leads me to the question. Well, first of all, a couple quick Jokic things. I think the greatest draft pick ever, number 41. <laughs> I think he's the greatest. Like, I, I actually don't think that's a debate. They got a potential three in a row MVP at number 41. Yeah, that's unprecedented. I don't. It's yeah, unprecedented. I can't really, there's yeah, been, there's no. Like Giannis was would be in the running normally. It's like wow, they got Giannis at 15. They got fucking Jokic at 41. So I think that's done. Um, the back to back MVP thing, the class of dudes who have done it: Russell, Will, Kareem, Moses, Bird, MJ, Magic, Duncan, Nash, LeBron, Curry, Giannis, and Jokic. There's kind of no stiffs in that crew. That's already hollow company. The three time MVP was Russell, Will, Bird. That's it. Um. He definitely grabbed Walton's most fun center ever mm. title. I think Sabonis I, and Walton were kind of right there, you know. Yeah, they but, were right there, and I I think Jokic took it. There's a stat last year he threw five thousand four hundred thirty two passes, which was six hundred fifteen more than the number two guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought that justifiable. Was yeah. Um, Jamal Murray said about him, his passing is what makes him so different from everybody else. Not just his willingness to pass, but like he wants to pass. He wants to find you. He wants to look this way and throw it that way. That's the beauty he finds in the game. So when you get the other, the teammates just kind of raving about him, that's another piece. So anyway, our assignment was if we were just putting together five guys, that would be the most fun to watch. Not best, not most talented. This is not a greatest of all time. Just like five guys that could create some form of basketball that would be this nirvana for nerds like us. And I think we both felt Bird, Magic, and Jokic have to be three of the five because now I'm I'm getting some sort of crazy, psychotic, psychic IQ thing that just is ridiculous. I'm getting movement. I'm getting P 
people trying to f- fuck with the other teams just with like, set me a pick and then do like a quick sneaky cut and I'll wait and then I'll find you. So let's go 86 bird, 87 magic and 2022 Jokic. So the R assignment was out of anyone in NBA history, who would be the most fun other two guys to put with those three. Yeah. So you go first, then I'll go. I came at this, I was I was trying to think about, and I'll, I'll plug Tyler Parker's uh, like league pass, like entertainment value. I was trying to like zag and think of it a different way. Like what would be fun to watch? Like if I wasn't doing it like in the basketball sense. So I'll say that up top. I did consider like, would it be fun to just, if this team was playing people, how would people come at them? And I would assume they'd need some kind of enforcer. So I was like, what are the wine bottle enforcers? I was <laughs> yeah. like, would it be, would it be like Oakley 94? I'm trying to think of who the guys would be that would, that would, that would be the Rodman Ben, our, my buddy, Ben Taylor, uh, who's a big historical guy. He's, he suggested Rodman like 89 Rodman would be fun with this group because of his cutting and his rebounding and stuff mm. like that. I decided to stick with just sort of like the, the ball movement idea here. The first one that I, I think with this team, I think you would need some movement. And the thing that this is like the most like over the plate, easy slam dunk whenever. If you put Curry on this team, it would be the most fun thing to watch in the history of basketball. Just to start with, if we're talking, you know, Curry's wine bottle year, 2015-16, obviously. I mean, he was phenomenal I would last go year. last year. Yeah, so I, I, I'm with you. I had Curry. I think Curry's actually the fourth because... All the stuff that makes Jokic fun to watch with Jamal Murray. Curry is the greatest version ever of Jamal Murray on his Mm -hmm. best night. That's just Curry, who he is. And I think putting that with all three of these guys, I don't even know what that looks like. And worst case scenario, he could just space when Magic and Jokic or Bird and Jokic or Bird, like whatever, they're just doing two-man game stuff. And Curry could just be in the corner like, I'm over here, guys, if you need me. But then he could also do the Jamal Murray and the Curry Draymond kind of stuff. But instead of Draymond, it's Jokic. Yeah. Or it's Bird. I think he needs to be on the team. I th- Well, one thing I was thinking about if you had this team out here, I, you got to think of like how basketball would be different. Like if we, if we, if we could use the things that are going on in modern basketball, and one of the big things that's happened is just like a like short roller, like picking screeners who are have guard instincts like Bruce Brown is a guy who had some guard experience and then he comes in the league and you put yep. that guy as a as a roller who can pass the ball magic as a screener is very fun to think about now you could easily I know what people are going to say you could be like okay LeBron yes obviously um but I think that like Steph wouldn't even have to just stand in the corner if you thought about what he would do, like just moving a little bit. If he sets a couple off-ball screens, that makes every that makes Bird's ISO life easier. That makes Jokic's ISO life easier. Um, I think he's the obvious thing, and and his you talk about ramping up from what Murray does with Jokic. I mean, he's he's just one of the best passer, ball, best shooter of all time, one of the best ball handlers of all time too. Yeah, so with Magic, it's either 85 Magic or 87 Magic. 87 Magic was a little bit slower, but had the junior skyhook game refined at that point. He averaged like 24 a game. was just a better score. 85 Magic was definitely more like on the go, had the ball more. Um, If you were going to put LeBron on this team, it's probably in that Magic spot. Yeah. And I can't lose Magic, but I also, you could... Absolutely talk me into putting LeBron on this team. All right, we'll lock down Curry as the four starter. So I had then, a I had a wild idea on this one. I was well, the, just if we were just doing experiments, like 
if we were messing with the lineups, because we know Jokic doesn't necessarily have to play center because we know he can shoot threes. He could space the floor. What if you slid him down to four and put Bill Walton in there? Like if, oh, like if we put six, 76, 77, <laughs> and then we got like the double, like, you know, the horns, like the dual big guy at the elbow thing. Mm. And we could have movement. I don't, I just was thinking like, if you, if you want to see, if I want to imagine, if I want to imagine the, the, the best passing team, the best hypothetical passing team ever, I feel like that would be pretty fun. Cause like I, I didn't experience, I know you were there, but I didn't experience the bird, uh, the bird Walton thing was the bird yeah. Walton thing. Uh, like I remember I was watching some classic game and Walton just checked in for a few minutes and the chemistry that they had immediately. I was like, holy shit. Like I was like, I knew it was good, but it, it, it I just imagining that in that context, uh, even like a lesser version of Walton, I feel like would yield some pretty fun moments. Yeah. They really got to a point where they were just kind of messing around with the other teams. That's where you really, and that's part of the point of this team you want to get to the point where you're almost messing around with the other team. You, you're so talented and you're on this different wavelength. It's like the other team almost doesn't matter with bird and Walton. They would just do bird would do these little handoffs with Walton. Then he would do quick cuts and Walton would just throw it over his head to him. And they always kind of knew where each other were. So yeah, that would be in it. Um, so for my fifth guy could go a couple ways. I think you need an alley-oop slash cutter guy to kind of finish it off, right? We have a bunch of passers. We have Curry with some shooting. Bird can shoot. Jokic can shoot. We can go two-man stuff. Fast break, we can go. What we don't have is, is somebody to fill the wing. Now, the obvious choices would be MJ or LeBron here. Yeah. Right? You could go young MJ. You go 1988 MJ when he was just trying to dunk over everybody. Or you go 1992 peak of his powers, MJ, when he's probably a better basketball player and still has the same ups. And you could just put him as the fifth guy. He doesn't have the ball as much. He's running the floor all the time. You could do the same thing with 09 LeBron. If you really want the passing upside, you go 2013 LeBron. And I think that's where I'm leaning which incredibly means I'm MJ is not on my most fun team ever, even though he's <laughs> one of my most favorite basketball players ever. But I think my final answer is 2013 LeBron. That Miami Heat 27-game winning streak version, putting him with Curry and these other three guys, I think my, that would make my brain explode the most. Well, I don't, in, your, in your defense, I would say that like we're talking about... Like, like Michael Jordan really needs a lot of uh, defense, you know, in the world and in culture and things like <laughs> right. that. Like, this is his first was, loss in a while. Not making the most fun team ever. That's what uh, I said about when that trophy came out. I was like, yeah, we need to be giving C Jordan the, his credit. But I think the thesis of what you're talking about is pretty clear here, which is like, like passing, ball movement, cutting. And Jordan, I, I still think he's the best ever, but like he, it was a different thing. And I, yeah. you know, it, and so. Yeah. Well, one of the things I was thinking, if you're going to put Jordan on the team, you go Bird, Magic, Jokic, and then you just take MJ and Pippen from the 96 Bulls and you just throw them on this team. And now it's like, now we have everything. Now we're getting steals too and all these different things. For uh, alley-oop guys, 1977 Doc, 86 Dominique, 92 Sean Kemp, just as like a toy for these guys. I'm like, hey, yeah. here's Sean Kemp. He can dunk everything that's at least 12 feet high. Just have fun, guys. And then the other one who has been lost in history now is 2012 Blake. Oh, yeah. Who, 
was dunking over everybody. And and when you're talking about like that Aaron Gordon type cutter, so if you gave me Bird, Magic, Jokic, Curry, and then Blake, and Blake, your only job is to set screens and roll to the basket and try to dunk on guys. I feel like he's might be the best version of 2022 Aaron Gordon, right? Yeah, I mean, if you put him in situations where he has like leverage and a guy is like shuffling to the scene to try to contest him, I mean, it would just be it would be a poster factory, basically. And it's fun to think about like just the different like if you just put because there would be so much IQ on that team, the pressure you could you could put guys in there in low pressure situations. I was thinking back about like um, guys that would be fun. Like if what if you just threw a random one, like we'll say the ninth man. What if you just threw like O2 Stromile Swift out there? Like I'd, I, he's one of my favorite players to watch on YouTube. Just the crazy stuff that he would do. Um, I I actually kind of had an, uh, another approach that I was thinking about. I, it's interesting to hear that you say that you would pick. Uh, you said you lean towards Pippen, 96 Pippen MJ, right? Is that what you were saying? I was just saying the two of them together with those three guys would be fun. That would be my final pick, but that was one option I was thinking of in my head. Just like yeah. now I just have like, those two guys fit in from an IQ standpoint as well as anybody together and just gave those two as a tandem with these three. Like, what would that look like? Yeah, I mean, they they were basically defensive terrorists at that point in their lives. Right, I mean, like, I, like 92, 92 they would They be weren't fun. terrorists like they were in 96. 92, they were younger, more athletic. 96, they were like... Smarter and yeah. And yeah, I think... Yeah, they were just dismantling teams. Uh, in terms of finishers, I mean, I think 2000 Vince Carter would be really fun. Nah, to that, throw I'm in not there. allowing Vince on this team. Sorry, <laughs> oh, okay. Vince. I yeah, sorry, Vince. Grudge against him. The the other like alignment that I was thinking about, 88 Jordan, and tell me what you think about this. I thought it would be pretty interesting to because this guy is, was an underrated passer. Is mm. the the 2003 wine bottle for Tracy McGrady? If you Ooh. put him in there, if you put them in there as a duo. Because McGrady averaged five and a half assists, and he was actually shot 38.6% from three on six attempts in 2003, which was a lot for the time. I think he would have just slotted right in there. And the thing about this team that I think is interesting, if you if you wanted to put a super selfish iteration of Michael Jordan, like in 1988, these guys all defer so much. Like, Jokic doesn't give a shit. He'd be like, right. absolutely, go for 40. I'll pass you the ball. And Bird and Magic, the same the same kind of thing. I, that's why it's fun to think about those. And those two guys, like Jordan, under I would say, is, was kind of an underrated passer, too, in that sense. You'd keep some of the ball movement, but you get the big finishes. Um, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be an offensive nirvana, for sure. That would be the 0-1 Kobe argument, too. Where I always, he's I always lean the most back athletic. In that era, but, yeah, yeah, I would rather have eighty-eight Jordan, but that would be the same kind of thing. Uh, two more, two more. Uh, I was thinking in the Curry spot. 07 Nash, just from the IQ stuff, I think I think he could hang with those guys. And then I can't believe I'm saying this. I hope I don't get struck by lightning. Two thousand sixteen Kyrie Irving. I saw I when you that was on the list. I was like, okay, okay, we we'll, we'll talk about that. So I was thinking about how Jamal Murray clicks with Jokic and who is the best possible version of the stuff Jamal Murray is good at. And the answer is actually Kyrie. Like he's a 50-40-90, incredible handle, um, and never really played with anybody like Jokic. And I just think if you put 2016 Kyrie with Jokic for like a week, it would be pretty amazing. I wouldn't want maybe want six years of it, but... <laughs> if you're just talking about uh, a couple games, that would be fun. And then the only other one I had was 2017 Durant. 
because we saw him fit into the framework of an unselfish team and it it was kind of better than anyone thought, but he also has the ability and, you know, all these years later still does of if you need two points, he can get it. He can run the floor. He can just kind of fit in, does need the ball. The ball moves with him. And I think he's another one that would be a fun one. But I think my final answer is, I think my final answer is 22 Curry in 2013 LeBron. I think that's pretty fair. I, I, and I think that that would be a team that would move the ball really well. I think we're t- pretty much just talking about offense. I mean, I don't know how well this team would guard people. No, we're but. saying this is most fun. We're not trying. This is like how they talk about the, uh, what was the team with 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 Krayoff, the, uh, the Danish team in 1974 that almost won the World Cup and they were like the most fun soccer team ever, but they didn't actually win the World Cup. The Suns were like that in the uh, mid-2000s too, I guess. But this team fun, would just yeah. be pure fun Nirvana. I'm not sure they would win the title, although maybe they'd score so many points that probably it'd be yeah. in the running. There's, I mean, and there's a thing that kind of Sierra and I were talking about this on the on the show today, and it's like yeah, there's winning, and then there's like the cultural like things that just kind of last and live on. It's like no, the O2 Kings didn't win. You ask anybody on earth about the O2 Kings, and they light up. And they're like, oh my yeah. god, I loved it. And that's the whole point is the fun. And I, I went through, and I was just thinking about Durant was the obvious one, and I kind of landed on that too when I was thinking about like the lineage of because I started thinking about like what if you had like 80 George Gervin or like 83 Alex English just to yeah. like, like a guy that could just like really low resting heartbeat just score 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 um I think on every team you kind of need to have and I think that's why Durant was so valuable to that team to to the Warriors and why Kawhi was so valuable to the Raptors you need to have those guys and I texted you this during that Kings Nuggets game it's like when the scheming kind of comes to a gridlock, you need the guys that can go get the big buckets, that can go hit tough shots to get you through those dry spells. And uh, I think I think that's kind of who would I I would pick in this situation. That's who I would lean towards. Um, but you know, you'd get that in LeBron, you'd get that in Curry. Incredible offensive players, no titles by decade. Jokic this decade, Harden last decade, Steve Nash two thousands. Carl Malone, 1990s, Dominique in the 80s, Gervin and McAdoo in the 70s. I hope that's not Jokic's destiny. And I do think, I think they have a real chance to make the finals this year. And I, I think they might actually have the best team in the West. Um, I don't think it's there's a complete team. So it'll be the team that does their one thing better than anybody else. And they might just be better at offense than anyone else in the West is at anything. Especially if you have the Warriors as a seven, eight, nine, ten seed with this Curry injury. Memphis is starting to look a little, little worse for wear. Phoenix is a mess. New Orleans can't seem to put, you know, mm-hmm. three straight weeks together. Clippers can look great when everyone's playing, but who the hell knows who's going to be playing? And I, I think it's sitting there for Denver. And I think Jokic is that special. So I'm glad we're able to talk about him. Thanks for staying up late uh, with me, J. Kyle, man. I can't wait to hear people get mad about uh, our most fun team, even though it was completely arbitrary and and came out of a good place. Uh, Good to see you, though. Thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. 
you know, I'll mess around with some other ones. But for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra. Not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game. Right now, than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones Safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah. All they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by U.S. News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash BS. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com slash BS. All right, the ringer's Benjamin Solak is here. We usually do this on Thursdays, but he wasn't on last Thursday and there's so much stuff going on. We're just kind of cramming it in between the two Thursdays here on Tuesday. I asked you, to come up with five questions, not just for this weekend, but we have six weeks left now. This is a six-week sprint, two regular season weeks, mm-hmm. four playoff weeks. It feels like things are more in flux than ever. It feels like more teams have a puncher's chance of at least making round three than, than we usually have. Your number one question as we head into this six-week stretch. This is a little bit, it's a little bit unfair to ask me this because my number one question is going to be one of my weak points which is, are we supposed to take this Chargers team seriously? How, <laughs> how serious? I, I've done a good job not fully drinking the Kool-Aid to this point. The Chargers are sports writer catnip. They're bait for all of us. Uh, and, and over the course of this, you know, they've had a three-win stretch. They've won four of their last five. They've had wins over potential AFC playoff teams like Miami and like Tennessee. They've played Kansas City uh, twice this year and played them tight, lost by a field goal both times, lost to a Patrick Mahomes game-winning drive both times. Like it, they, have, they felt like they were on the cusp last year, and then they didn't get it done with all the shenanigans of that, that Raiders game. And now this season, they got the check mark. Two weeks left in the regular season, they got the check mark. This team is going to the playoffs. And when you look at uh, what has improved for them over the last month, you find defensive performance. That which Brandon Staley was supposed to fix and, fix and didn't initially fix has gotten a lot better. Uh, Arjun Menon, who's a, a a PFF data analysis, since week 10, this Chargers defense is uh, 10th in EPA per play allowed. Or excuse me, since week 8, they're 10th in EPA per play allowed. This without Joey Bosa on the field the entire time. They have mm. figured out, lose J.C. Jackson, Michael Davis has stepped in and played better. They've gotten Sebastian Joseph Day on the field. He's handled the interior for them. Kenneth Murray's playing better. And when Kenneth Murray is playing better, you're doing something right. You're doing great work. And the potential of bringing Joey Bosa back into this team means, all right, like, defensively, they might be what we thought Brandon Staley could get them to be. Offensively, they're still not what you want in terms of a Justin Herbert offense. We've talked a lot about the the, the structural issues and the Joe Lombardi of it all. But with Keenan Allen back on the field, now more healthy off of his hamstring injury, I refuse to say 100% because I watched that man try to turn a corner at the numbers 
and still go out at the sideline. <laughs> Almost yeah, he looked like me. Yeah, <laughs> he just couldn't stop. <laughs> that was a wide bang for Keenan. So I won't say 100%, but with him healthier than he's been all season dealing with the hamstring injury and with Mike Williams back from the ankle injury, this offense and this passing game works a lot better than when it was Josh Palmer and Michael Bandy and they were just kind of strapping it all together with duct tape prayers and dreams. So I, I don't know whether or not I should take this Chargers team seriously or not. I won't figure that out over the next two weeks, right? The Chargers are don't really have meaningful games. It's They're either going to be the fifth seed or the sixth seed. They're going to play the Rams. They're going to play the Broncos. I, we're not going to learn a lot about them, but they are going to get like a, a, a beatable Jaguars or Titans team if they end up the five seed. If they end up the three seed, they're going to get a really talented Bengals team. And that Jaguars team that they might face killed them in week three. Like they are going to enter this playoffs with a chance to win their first round game. And I would love to know whether or not I should actually think that's possible by January. I'm just not sure I'm going to have that information. I had the Colts in a tease plus 10 and a half last night. And it's weird. They got blown out, but I also felt like they left a lot of opportunity on the field, right? They got a couple turnovers. They got one mm-hmm. inside the 20. It felt like it was going to be a three-point game. And they just, Foles was awful. The play calling was awful. Yeah. They couldn't stay out of their ways. But even like Derwin James goes out in the first half, and you think, oh, this will maybe they'll be able to throw in them at least. And they just, the Chargers just, they're pretty deep. Feels like they can survive a lot. We did on Thursday's pod with uh, JJ and Schrager, we talked about which of the three kind of lingering teams could make a run. It was the Dolphins, the Chargers, and Detroit. It was like, mm-hmm. they, there's we have our five-team inner circle. Could any of these teams crack it? Well, Detroit shits the bed. Yep. The Dolphins not only shit the bed, now two is in concussion protocol again, and I want to talk about that in a second. And the Chargers have now emerged. They got this Rams-Denver combo, and as you pointed out, the five seed in a, in a weird way is about as good of a five seed as you're going to get in a typical yeah. year, right? If like Seattle, New Orleans in 2010 was the peak when New Orleans was like a <laughs> nine-point favorite in Seattle, yeah. but somehow blew that anyway, but that the Chargers are going to be favored over either one of those teams in the playoffs. And it's all sitting there. I'm with you on the defense. And yet I'm with you. Like, I, I, I still can't get there. I yeah, still this, I want to see them beat an awesome team. And they just haven't been able to do it in a right. way that convinced me. You know how like the, the offensive play calling and decision making just drives us all nuts in general. It's gotten even worse. Because over the last several weeks, Herbert's uh, sack numbers have jumped up. And if you try to figure out why that's happened, they're moving him out of the pocket less, right? They're less designed rollouts, less designed boots. They're moving the launch point by design a lot less frequently. And it's because the offensive line's gotten better. They've had multiple rookies out there, and Jamari Saylor takes over at left tackle. They've had changes at right tackle, but now Trey Pipkins is set. And because the offensive line's gotten better, Joe Lombardi's gone, oh, okay, we don't have to do the whole move the pocket thing anymore. Great. No, no, no. It's still a bad line. It's better, but it's still yeah. not good. You still have to press these buttons. And and with, with Keenan Mike Williams back, Joe Lombardi's like, oh, I can just run my offense now where I drop Herbert back, three-step drop every single time. I run the same four concepts, eight yards down the field every single time. And Herbert is taking a lot of hits, especially for a guy with a bad rib injury earlier in the year, taking a lot of hits, and they're not getting him by design out of the pocket the way they were earlier in the season. So offensively, there's still so much meat on this bone. What you're like yeah. looking at when you look at a Chargers playoff run is, all right, is the defense now equipped to make sure the Chargers are in a one-score game in the fourth quarter, such that when Herbert gets to open this thing up, 
he has a chance to win these games, right? And so it, it's a narrow road to walk because the offense still is, does not take itself seriously. It's one of those weird teams that they almost feel more dangerous when it's third and nine than when it's third and two. Mm-hmm. Third and two, it's like maybe they'll run the ball and take the ball out of Herbert's hands and they'll get stuffed. But third mm-hmm. and nine, it's like, well, somebody's getting open. He's going to find them. He, I thought, I thought he, uh, he was really good last night for a game where they weren't, I wouldn't have said they were that explosive. Yeah, like no touchdown, one interception. Like, that's a great game. We yeah, played I thought, so well. Like, I liked all like the that. decisions he makes. That's, But that's mm-hmm. the thing, like when you, me, and Ruiz, we did the QBs a couple weeks ago. It's just like, he always seems like he makes the right call. Um, sorry, so they get four or five potentially if they can get to the five seed. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville or the Tennessee. I I just am not sold on either of those teams at all. And if anything, yeah. you could say, if you take away their division records, both those teams are below 500 teams. And then, you know, the three seed, probably Cincy. So then assuming there's no upset, they would play the one seed. What matchup do you like more with them between Buffalo and Kansas City? Because we don't know who's going to be mm-hmm. the one seed at this point. By a mile, Kansas City. Okay. Very hard to beat one team three times in a season. And the Chiefs are two up on the Chargers. You know them. You know what they're about. You, you, you know the, the buttons to press. That familiarity levels the playing field as opposed to the Bills where... You know, you you haven't yet like experienced recently Josh Allen's speed, Josh Allen's size, Stephon Diggs. You just you, the lack of familiarity introduces a little bit more of an advantage, I think, for like the Bills being the more high powered team. If you get the Chiefs, okay, we know these guys. We keep getting mm. these guys on the ropes with 58, 59 minutes left. Now we can knock them out of the playoffs. And and I said last week, I think this AFC playoff picture race entire process. I think we're going to see upsets. I think we're going to see weird games. I think it's going to be crazy. Chargers Chiefs is one of those where like we end up getting that in the divisional round. I feel like th- that that's a that's the defining game of the last several years of Chargers football and they're going to come out for that. Uh, so I, I'm praying we get that matchup. I'd love to see it. Are we willing to say the Chargers are the fourth best team in the AFC yet? I'm like 80% there. Uh, I could also it, see it, them but, losing yeah. this week to the Rams. Be yeah, like, oh my God, they sucked right. me in again. It's between them and Baltimore, and we just haven't seen the Ravens with Lamar in a bit, and I think that makes yeah. it a little bit tricky. Though They're similar teams in the sense that defensive improvements have kept them in the playoff picture over the last month. So, so quietly, Baltimore's yeah. defense, man, playing really good ball. But offensively, they're just knucklehead stuff, so you don't know how serious you can take them. But it's, it's them, it's the Chargers and the Ravens in that conversation for the four spot. I mean, worst-case scenario for them, they go to Buffalo... Buffalo, it's the winter from hell, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to assume it's it's just going to snow every week in Buffalo for the rest of the winter and they could go there and it could be like that famous, you know, about 20 years before you were born, the famous Chargers Bengals game when it was like (laughs) minus 2 million in Cincinnati and the Chargers had like the most fun offensive team of the 80s and ended up playing in minus 14 weather. And that was that. Uh, Before we move on to your next question, Chargers 14 to 1 to win the AFC on FanDuel. They, yeah. right now it goes Bills plus 165, Chiefs plus 220, no value at all. Plus 470 for the Bengals, like a, a wee bit of value, but not a lot because you just bet them game to game if you're going to bet that. And then Ravens 11 to 1, Chargers 14 to 1. It's like a, like a touch of value there because they'll be favored yeah. in, the, in round one if they're a five seed. Round two, let's say they go to Buffalo. What's that? Like Bills minus three and a half, minus four, something like that. Yeah, Chargers are like probably four, like plus 170. And half, yeah. And then the KC game will not go more than three and a half, four because we've, they've yeah. just been too close. So 
Maybe there's a little value there. All right, your next question. Yeah, let's let's actually stay because we were talking about this a little bit with that five seed, four seed talk. I'm extremely curious to see if this this next month of football forces the Titans to blow everything up. I know that's not like the main playoff thing everybody's looking at. Who's the winners, champions, playoff runs? The Titans have lost five straight. They lost yeah. two straight, fired the general manager, and then lost three more after that. Ryan Tannehill's out for the season with an ankle injury. Derrick Henry's banged up. They had this week 17 game against the Cowboys Thursday Night Football, but it actually doesn't matter at all, right? Both they and the Jaguars are 7-8 and eight at this time, uh, independent of the results of Dallas Titans and then Houston Jags on Sunday. The week 18 game between the Jags and the Titans is for the division, right? So Houston's in a, uh, excuse me, the Titans are in a spot where they might go 0-7 across the end of the season, ending in a season-ending loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars who beat them for the division. That's about by the, as by bad the way, as it gets. Incredible win by me. I had Titans under 9. It's Before the season, it's a, it's have, like a freaking miracle. Yeah. DraftKings, uh, there there was a there was a promo that DraftKings had of like parlaying season win totals, and a buddy of mine has a ticket of like ten plus wins for a bunch of teams, and the only open team is the Titans, and it's been that way for like three weeks, and Ooh. he's just sitting on it every week. I text him, "How we doing? How we feeling? What are the vibes?" It's <laughs> That's terrible. Brutal. Regardless, the uh, the Titans Jags dichotomy here in terms of like this this team on the uh, the the ascent with all these young players with this new coach and then Tennessee who's just cratered after so much good coaching after so much good luck puts Tennessee in a very awkward spot you look at like the Taylor Lewan contract as an example like he's been injured this entire season he's a 14 million dollar cap hit next year with nothing in terms of the dead cap like does he get what? injured every season yeah, two of the last three seasons, he's had an ACL. He's talked publicly on his podcast about like, okay, maybe I don't want to come back. Like, I don't know, it's the end for me. Yeah. So, okay, like the Luan cut starts to make sense. And then you look at like a Ryan Tannehill contract. Tannehill next year would, would save $18 million on the cap if he were cut. He's worth $36 million cap hit if they keep him Oof. next season. Derrick Henry, $7 million saved on the cap next season. Both Tannehill and Henry's contracts expire in 2023. So it's just the final year on both of those guys. And you just fired your general manager who kind of, started this reload. He traded A.J. Brown. He kind of put you in this this intermediary spot. Traylon Burks hasn't been healthy. You haven't replaced any of the wide receiver production. Robert Woods has been bad. They are in limbo. And when you're in limbo, it's a lot harder to climb your way out by like committing to the guys in the building and trying to to, to resuscitate things. It's a lot easier to just press hard reset. And if you had So you're saying of, if they lose seven yeah. straight, this is a reset. You're hitting it with your fist. Yeah. You're banging right. the reset button. I think I think John Robinson wanted to do a little bit of like a soft reset. Like, okay, yeah. like, you know, he didn't sign any big deals past 2023. Let's AJ Brown while he kind of, you know, quietly reload and try to keep momentum while you were doing it. The uh, ownership fires him, which was a, apparently a message of like, we need to win. We need to win now. We need to compete. But they keep losing. And so if you're going to be on, on the outside of the playoffs looking in, I don't know how you sit here with all this money you can recoup from a, a Ryan Tannehill cut or a Ryan Tannehill trade, a Derrick Henry cut, a Derrick Henry trade restructure, Taylor Lewan moving on. They still have to sign Jeffrey Simmons. They have to sign David Long. They have to sign Danico Autry. Like they are in a very weird spot cap wise. So the next two games for the Titans matters a lot. If they win them, if they lose them, make the playoffs, play the Chargers, win a physical game. Like there's a chance. This all gets like rosy and you just kind of ho-hum, continue on like nothing happened in the next season. But if they miss the playoffs, it could have massive ramifications in terms of what the core of this team looks like. We're going to get two weeks of Malik Willis. We're going to get more and more data, more and more reps on this player. It's very interesting to think about Tennessee long term and how the next three years are going to be impacted by these final two weeks. So Fando has Jacksonville minus 250 to win the division. I actually think that's low. I think Tennessee mm -hmm. is done. They're going to lose yeah. to Dallas this week. That'll be six straight. 
without Tannehill, I just don't, I don't see it with Malik Willis. I'm not saying I'm the all-time quarterback watcher, but I'm, I think I'm in like the top 18. I don't see it. I don't see any piece of it. Rawer like than sushi right now. Yeah. They, you know, like we, everyone, they, the recency bias is always, oh, Zach Wilson, he's the worst quarterback of all time. Like watch Malik Willis for like a half. They can't do really anything with them. And it's the same thing. These guys, they roll out. They have no idea what they're going to do. And then it's the guys coming in and they throw it out of bounds. Like wait, that should be a stat. I feel like that should be a stat on uh, like NFL advance, whatever, next gen stats. Just the quarter, the aimless rollout followed by the throw out of bounds. Yeah. Who leads the league in that this year? It's like Zach Wilson's definitely in the top three. Willis had about eight was, of them yeah. yesterday. Wilson was doing it a ton and then he stopped doing it and started throwing picks. You remember that Patriots <laughs> right. game, right? Where yeah, he was broke like, above it. Yeah, right. they were like, why'd you stop throwing it away? And instead threw picks. And he was like, well, I was just getting tired of throwing the football away. I know it's been helping us. Like he literally said, it's been good for us, me throwing the football away, but I just didn't want to do it anymore. That's when you know you're in a bad spot. The like Malik is like a third round pick is like kind of, you know, interesting. Like, let's see what it looks like. Like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a swing, right? It's just a massive swing at the plate. If we connect, great. If not, it doesn't hurt us. That's why, like, you know, carrying Tannehill for 36 million next season, it's not that bad. Like, you can do it and be respectable. It's just, okay, if you're paying the veteran quarterback, if you're starting him over Malik Willis and taking away that opportunity for Willis to develop, then you want to see return on that. You want to justify that with wins. Do they have the pass catchers to do that? Do they have the offensive line? No, nah, they're blowing they the play it up. Caller to do that? Yeah. They, they, but the other they, thing is their coach is in the sturdiest position of just about any coach of right. all the younger guys except for Dayball. And if anyone's going to be like, yeah, I'll throw away next year. Let's reboot. Give me more power. Give me more say. And, you know, we can just reboot in the draft this year and then all next season. Like, that, I think that's what yeah. they would do. And that's what that's what's very interesting about this relative to like who fills the general manager position officially or if it doesn't officially get filled and Brable just kind of holds the title. Head mm. coaches are notoriously short-sighted. That's the, the nature of the job. Head coaches try to win now. General managers try to win three three years from now. They're supposed to exist in tension. There's supposed to be a, an equilibrium that's dynamic there that has some conflict to it. When you vacate one side of the seesaw, there's a chance that Vrabel like takes the tail of the wand money and just gives like an unnecessarily massive contract to some like you know to Juju Smith Schuster, some like third fourth year wide receiver. He's like, if I just get this guy in here and like this tough dude, like oh, I'm gonna go sign a Patriots free agent because those always work out. I know those guys. Like you know, get him in the building, and then we're gonna win eleven games, and then it craters. So Tennessee really was 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 trying to navigate a depth path. They had the Robinson firing. I think the the vibes in that locker room are terrible. I think there's there's frustration. I think that that this season is going to crater. And then I wonder what happens to them long term. It's been such a well coached, well managed team for so long, and things went from twelve to six unbelievably fast. Well, and then on the other side with the NFC teams, that like if Tampa whatever happens with them, I'm sure they're it's going to be uh, set yeah. on fire after the season. New Orleans will be interesting because if Peyton. I still feel, like Sal and I talked about this on Sunday, I still feel like if Peyton is actually coming back next year, New Orleans has to be one of the favorites because you'd have to trade to get him. But yeah. they feel like they're in flux in some way. I can't imagine them running back Dennis Allen. And the team that's weirdly, um, I think the most stable is Carolina because I think, I think they bring back Wilkes. Unless Arnold completely screws it up, he might have bought himself another year. And you could argue for Carolina, like, look, we played really well. They, they, there's an alternate version of the season where we're like nine and six right now. Um, and then I, I like what Atlanta has too. I think they've 
Yeah. You know, I, I, they have some sort of identity. I, I'm not sure on Ritter, he hasn't looked that good in the in the starts that he's had. But for the most part, like they, Drake London's been good. I like the running backs. Like, I think Arthur Smith's a really good coach. He seems, I, I think he's affecting the games about as much as any of the younger coaches we've seen in a positive way. I so, agree. I would say Tampa is probably the team that's most in flux. Make it lose to Carolina this week. Is their season over if they lose this week? I can't remember. It is, right? So they, they're... Uh, Carolina would have to win the yeah. next week. Yeah, exactly. So they're in a bad spot of the division. They no longer control their destiny. They can also, if memory serves, get into the wild card by like an extremely perverse series yeah, of events. That was everybody losing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Carolina thing is tricky. I, what Wilkes has done has been great. Like I just ripped through that film. They've been second EPA per play since Darnold came back. Like they're running the football well. They're doing like 12 personnel heavy stuff. Ben McAdoo is coaching great. Like, it's awesome. Bringing the interim, extending the interim, giving him the full-time job historically has been a shaky proposition. Usually it doesn't mm. work too well. We've seen Steve Wilkes be a head coach and he didn't get a fair shake, but still like, you know, we have some data on this. So it, it's a, it's a very weird spot because you generally don't want to bring back the interim. That, like, in, in NFL history, that's kind of like a, a, an unsteady seat. However, do you want to go in the open head coach market and try to convince somebody to come and, and handle this quarterback situation and not have that many picks? So, like, you know, it's not like they have a war chest or anything. It's, they're a little bit in, in, in a peculiar spot. I think that they'll, like, test the waters in some of the top candidates. Like, okay, what would it take to get D'Amico Ryans out here? What would it take to get Shane Steichen out here? And then if they feel like they can't land a big fish... Big I don't Lou. mind bringing back Wilkes and kind of see Big Lou. Yeah, I mean, if if Lou wants to go for it, go for it. Wait, I but like it, I like your interim thing. So it's like mm-hmm. somebody just had a horrible relationship, and then they start dating somebody after who they didn't think they would get serious with, but everybody kind of likes her. And they, you should marry her; she's great. And you've been together like four weeks. Probably a bad idea. So yes. you're saying that's the, that's the interim coach, basically. Yeah, and the the. the 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 experience of shedding off the old coach, the experience of just getting out of that bad relationship, it's a bump. To lead to, it's, it's a boost. It's a bump that can't be sustained. And then it's all right. What do you bring me? What do you give me? And I think Wilkes is like a solid NFL coach. I just don't think he's he's on the tier of some like the big fish that might be in the head coaching circles this year. But man, with, with the, the Panthers, the, the flip side is yeah. Jeff Saturday, where there's not only a bump, you go somehow backwards. You're the worst. I, I <laughs> this Saturday thing is amazing to me because when they it's won so that good. game against the Raiders. And like Matt Ryan played pretty well in that game. And like the defense yeah. had a nice performance and the Raiders were terrible. Everybody was like, wow, Jeff Saturday, Jim Ursay knew. And I was not like, everybody. Guys, yeah, people right. like us were <laughs> yeah. not like that. We're yeah. like, wait, hold on. Some hold people, your horses. Yeah. I got into a big debate with Colts fans that week. I was like, fellas, I need y'all to have a memory longer than a goldfish. I need y'all to think about what this might look yeah. like. And here we are. They're outscored 90 to nine in fourth quarters under Saturday. Oh my God. It's Killing tough. teases. Um, mm-hmm. Let's take a break and then we'll do the last three questions. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing, Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like McLeod Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLeodBultra.com slash courtside. 
LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by TurboTax. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you've side hustled your way to playoff tickets, auctioned off those vintage jerseys or started a sports podcast of your own, hey, you're like me, switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, question number three, Ben Solak, what is it? All right, so yeah, we, we talked a lot in that segment about, you know, the worst quarterbacks, the way the bad guys look, and, and you know, what Sam Donald's future is, and Malik Willis and Zach Wilson. How about Brock freaking Purdy, man? How about I our every, dude? Every week I turn on the film <laughs> trying to find the collapse. I'm just waiting for the rookie moment. I'm waiting for the rookie game, and he won't give it to me. So the question for this one is, how long can the Niners withstand, endure, avoid the inevitable, I promise you, it's like Jeff Saturday, the inevitable collapse that's coming from Brock Purdy. Purdy this, se- uh, this season, since he took over, uh, fifth in adjusted. I don't like this segment. This is like my least favorite segment so far, but go ahead. Why is that? Uh, you're, you're dousing Brock Purdy with water? What's going on here? Okay, so listen, I'll, I'll, I'll frame it to you this way. Okay. You're, you're preparing my expectations. You don't want me to be too excited yes. about Brock Purdy. Okay. Right. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. When I, I'm, I'm looking at, 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 at Super Bowl contenders, AFC and NFC, and I want to understand how these guys are going to get there and then what the liabilities are going to be. Yeah. And when I try to figure out ways that San Francisco doesn't make the, the Super Bowl, I go, okay, number one, Brock Purdy. Number two, and then I can't find anybody. Right? Well, Kyle, I mean, Shanahan, this, Kyle Shanahan's big game performance would be number yeah, two and, for and, me. And, We've right. seen him blow too many leads. The depth that they've got in this roster, though, is really something else. I mean, they like you know they had Traverius Ward get banged up against Washington, and then they struggled a little bit against the receivers, but they still hold it down in the red zone. They have Debo Samuel go down, and then all of a sudden Ray Ray McLeod's got a seventy-yard rushing touchdown. Their offensive line, which was so bad, so bad to start the season, has stepped up every single week. Young players in Burford and and, and Aaron Banks, awesome to see from from running back one to to. Safety four and everything in between. This is a great roster and it's well coached. You know, designs offensive, defensively. D'Amico's incredible. There's just this seventh round pick with unmerited arrogance, unbelievable confidence this young guy has. It's so cool to see. Brock's just ripping tight window throws over the middle of the field, throwing like low and outside to George Kittle with placement, with timing, cover zero blitz, taking a hit. It is crazy. The you would think this guy was a national champion in Alabama when he's just playing with gumption in the NFL in his first starts. That confidence, that uh, arrogance, the aggressiveness, it's good. You need it in the Shannon offense. Point and shoot. Trust me, trust me, trust me. It's going to open up. Just throw it. Eventually, he's going to have like a three-pick game. But when eventually, does he eventually gonna... have, though? Because he's got Vegas right. next week and he's got Arizona in week 18. So I think he'll be fine through the regular season. Right. And, and then... so now it's a question of you play three... NFC defense, three NFC defenses through the playoffs. And that's the thing that really makes me think the Niners can make this run. Like Minnesota's defense. Uh, we saw Dallas's defense against Gardner Minshew, right? Uh, the, the, the Detroit Lions defense, the Seattle Seahawks defense, the New York Giants defense, whoever it is that gets through. The right? Giants, were, Giants were to me a tiny bit in the three six, if that's the three six. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, uh, just yeah, a the whiff. Giants, yeah. I'm, 
I'm really excited to see the Giants in the playoffs. Me too. I think Brian Dable's going to do the weirdest stuff imaginable. It's going to be like a I really kitchen sinky game. It's so fun. <laughs> I can't wait for, for the Giants in the playoffs. But there are a lot of really weak defenses in the NFC. So I, I really do think, the more I think about it, that Shanahan can marionette Purdy, protect him from his own self, give him the, the looks, give him the yards after the catch, give him the play action, give him the, the easy play shots, such that like the Niners can do this. I really think they can drag Purdy all the way to the Super Bowl. I just what they have to avoid is a collapse game, is a bonfire game. Where he he starts bad, he gets hit early, he gets routed, he throws a pick, and then he's, he he falls apart. Right? Even, he has that first experience of NFL adversity. That's what the Niners have to avoid. He even reengaged George Kittle, who who had been a, in a fantasy coma for months and months and months. It is now like swinging fantasy playoffs. Here's the key for them: they need Green Bay to beat Minnesota this week. They need the two seed. And then it's like, you're just playing a crap. That 2-7 matchup, whoever you're getting in that matchup, you're getting Carson Wentz, you're getting mm-hmm. Geno and the Seahawks dumpster fire defense, you're getting Jared Goff and weird Dan Campbell, or you're getting Rodgers. And that, I, in my opinion, a bogus Packers team. I think, you yes, know, even 100%. that game on Saturday, like, it, t- it turns out two was concussed probably the whole second half. They still should have won. I st- Green Bay, 65 plays for 301 yeah. yards. It was like they were lighting on fire. I don't think their defense is yeah. that good. I just don't think they're that good. They're 7-8 for a reason. So if San Francisco can get that, they get the 2-7, followed by the Minnesota Giants winner. That's round two. Mm-hmm. And then you got to hope you you either get lucky with Philly injuries or you get lucky with the Philly-Dallas game because I think Dallas would be a better matchup for them. But, I mean, you're a Philly fan. You yeah. can't feel great about Philly right now. Now, my my fourth question is uh is the Eagles luck breaking at the wrong the Eagles injury luck yeah. breaking at the wrong time. It's just the uh, we, we did an exercise on Philly special with Shield the other week and it was, you know, if you could protect five Eagles, you could protect them from being injured, you mm. know, not counting Hurts cuz he's already hurt. Like who would you take? We had, like AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Darius Slay, James Bradbury, Dallas Goddard, like a lot of different guys and the one player Eagles fans just God in our mentions about was like, how can you not protect Lane Johnson? Right. And then the very next game, uh, abdominal tear for you Lane, hurt Johnson. Lane Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. We did it. It was us physically. So they they lose Avante Maddox to a toe injury out for quote significant amount of time. Nobody really knows what's going on there. That tests their corner depth. They got Josiah Scott and Reed Blankenship right now as starters because Chauncey Gardner Johnson still has a lacerated kidney. And like the thing about Josiah Scott and Reed Blankenship is absolutely nobody knows these names because they're not great players. And, and the Cowboys yeah. picked on these guys. Chauncey Gardner Johnson does not have a timetable to come back. He's able to be activated from IR. They can start his window. But Nick Sirianni said like, hey, lacerated kidney. Like we do not know what we're doing here. Like, we're not rushing back Mr. I injured a major organ, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Yeah. So no Maddox, no Chauncey. Uh, Jordan Davis potentially banged up again, which they not handled great. the run defense issues with him the first time by bringing Linval Joseph and Indomitian Sue back. But Linval and Indomitian are both on the wrong side of 30. And we're starting to get to the point where they're no longer a lot fresher than their opponents. That was the big advantage when they first signed him off the street is those guys have fresh legs. They don't anymore. Uh, and then you have this Lane Johnson injury. Jack Driscoll is going to take over at right tackle. There's a chance. So how long is Lane Johnson the, out? Is he not maybe not even back for the playoffs? Definitely no regular season. They are quote hopeful for the playoffs. Oh my so god! So you have they have Lane who's hopeful for the playoffs, and then you have Jalen Hurts, who this is the most. This is the biggest thing. Schefter reported this week that the shoulder injury is a SC joint injury. This is not an, an AC joint. I'm not going to pretend I know what like sternoclavicular actually freaking means. But what I know from from what, you know, like the the 
uh, doctors and the, the, the people who get interviewed for these things and the experts have said is that this is a trickier, rarer, more week to week, what are we looking at injury than like, oh, wait, he's sprained his AC joint, he's back in two weeks. That's the regular shoulder injury. This is not that. And so like, I, I, I'm very confident Hertz doesn't play against the Saints. And I don't think that he's guaranteed for the division round. If he does, there's a chance he's less than 100%. We could be looking at like Jalen playing his first game without laying at right tackle against the Cowboys in the divisional round. The, the, the Eagles are in a tenuous spot health-wise. They're going to handle the Saints slash the Giants. They're going to win their game. They're going to win their one seed. They're going to win the, the, the division. Are they? I'm confident in that. Are they're, they? they're well coached. Are you confident? The Saints aren't good. Deep down? The Saints aren't good. Saints, Saints eh, I feel great. They're not Saints terrible. They're going to beat the Saints. They're going to build a little taste of hell. I can't. I've been talking Eh. an unbelievable amount of smack to Saints fans because of the Chauncey Garner Johnson trade, because of the Olave trade, because the Saints went all in again and they're bad. I really need the Eagles to beat the Saints. Eagles going to beat the Saints. But after that, to me, I'm not even throwing the Eagles in a tease this week. I don't trust that game at all. I think that the one thing with the Saints, I don't think they're very good. I don't think they're very well coached. They are physical. They are kind of hard to play and they're weird and they can have like the Taysom Hill quarter where it's just what's going on yeah. uh, around the 20. They're weird. I think they're, I don't know. I don't the feel good they, about that. The game other thing you. is, yeah, the way the Eagles have always have beaten the Saints, they, they played with Jalen Hurts the past season. You saw Kyler Murray beat this team as the Saints and Dennis Allen's defense really, really struggles against mobile quarterbacks, right? Lamar Jackson yeah. beat them, had a good day against them. The Eagles don't have that. They got Gardner Minshew. And when the Saints defense is good, it's good when it's facing just traditional quarterbacks, quarterbacks who don't have mobility. So there's sketchy stuff to it, but I think the Eagles' talent just outweighs. We need a, we need a big Minshew talent. game. We almost had it. He was sailing a couple passes this weekend, but he, for the he, most part, he was good, yeah. I thought. No, he looked, he looked solid. I, the interceptions were both his fault to a degree. The second one, like he was, it was not no. the majority his fault, the one that really turned the game. And so that you look at the box score, you say, oh, they turn over, Jalen Hurts are good at protecting the football. Minshew just got to learn what Jalen Hurts already knows. Throw it to 11. Throw it to six, sometimes throw it to 88. Nobody else, none of this Quest Watkins anymore. We throw it to these guys. Yeah, these that guys was only. tough. Well, here's the thing. If if somehow you blow this Saints game, which you shouldn't because you're home and their quarterback's Andy Dalton, you should win this game. Mm-hmm. The Saints aren't dead. They're in the mix. And then you have the Giants next week who will be playing for, um, you know, and the, I guess they could, the Giants could take care of business this week. So maybe you're good. But who knows? I, I, I don't know. I don't feel good about it for you. I just don't. I don't like how yeah. you peaked. We've seen it every year with the NFL, and I'm older than you. These teams that peak in that what week 11 to week 13 range and start looking juggernauty, and then as we get to the home stretch, that's when the injuries happen. It's never good. Yeah. They're the most injured now than they've been all season, and that's just... Yeah, that sucks. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like, and that's tough. Well, the good news for you is Devonta Smith is now just a sports movie when they throw him the ball. It's like those slow motion, any given Sunday so catches. Good. What is happening with him? The body control and the the catch outside of his frame ability on a guy of that size is one of the more ludicrous things you see in a league full of ludicrous athletes. If there the, was a game catch, show of the impossible catch, he would be the favorite, right? It's uh, For him to be 170 pounds and to be as confident as taking hits and surviving contact is just like, it feels unsafe. It's magical to watch. He He's tougher than A.J. Brown. And A.J. Brown's got like 55 pounds on him. It's so funny. Also, like one of the best feet near the sideline, keeping the feet yep. in guys I've ever seen in my life. And he's only been in the league for a couple of years, but just feels like he always knows where he is on the field, which is, I always marvel at this with uh, the NBA too, with the three-point shooting. 
these guys that have uh, the spatial awareness at all times, no matter where they are. And he has it. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, back of the end zone, side of the end zone, out of bounds. It just seems like he always knows exactly where he is. Feel. There's nothing better than watching a player with feel. And when you evaluate Devontae out of Alabama, okay, he's not Jalen Waddle, he's not Jamar Chase, but you just watch eight plays. Like, oh, he he was Bill's play receiver. He gets it. Well, the funny thing is Eagles fans have had the opposite with Aguilar who is the master of like mm-hmm. catching the ball with one foot out of bounds or Jalen Rieger, yep. who just didn't know where he was on the field really at any point. And now you have this guy who's like basically a savant. All right. You're uh, you got me more excited about San Francisco, by the way. Good. I'm glad. Well, I, cause I they're, just... they're plus three ten, And if Minnesota loses to green Bay and they're in that two seven spot with banged up Philly as really the one obstacle on the one, two, the plus three ten is like decent action. I think. Right. You're you're not getting plus three ten money line on a Niners Eagles NFC championship game. If no, you get there. you're just right. they, so that's, that's the yeah. that would be the bet. Unless Dallas crashed mm-hmm. the party. All right, your last question, number five. Last question is the big question. It's uh which of these top tier elite AFC quarterbacks is going to now, you know, define these next ten years of football. It's like in terms of the quality of talent. It's Patrick Mahomes, right? Like Mahomes already has the Super Bowl win over Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. In terms of the way he plays, he's a he's a head above everybody else. He's a cut above everybody else. Mahomes, to me, it belongs in a different tier than Allen, a different tier than Burrow, a different tier than any other quarterback you want to name. With that said, this really like this this Chiefs Bills Bengals three horse race in the AFC is about as close of a contention. These three teams are unbelievably good, and these three quarterbacks are playing the best ball of of probably each one of their careers. Burrow certainly is. Mahomes definitely is. Allen is a little bit more uh, of a question mark, but still, it's very, very, very high high tier ball. This is the this is like the AFC is defined by the young quarterbacks drafted in the first round from 2017 to 2021. All these post Brady quarterbacks and Herbert lingering was, yeah. behind them yeah. as the number four. Herbert. Lamar, Trevor Lawrence, right? Like all, all of these guys were drafted because the AFC said, all right, we're finally out from under Brady. Let's try to get our guy and push. The three teams that were most successful were these Chiefs, these Bills, and, and these Bengals with Mahomes and with Allen and, and with Burrow. When I look for the most balanced team, I find Cincinnati. And I love balanced teams in the playoffs. When I look for the most explosive team and the team to win, uh, 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 you know, shootouts and win late games, I find the Bills. And when I look for the team that's that's been there before, done it before, survived, has the experience, I find the Chiefs. And I don't know where to put my money. I don't know where to put my chips. There's There's so many reasons to trust these three teams particularly. I think the Super Bowl champion is going to be one of those those three teams. I think the guy who makes it out of the AFC is going to be the guy that that takes it. There's ways this gets wonky. Like I said, I think the AFC is going to be an extremely difficult playoff race, but the team that comes out out of that bloodbath, I think it's just going to have that 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 final push there for the Super Bowl. So Mahomes, Allen, or Burrow, one of those three, as I sit here right now, December 27th, I think is going to get the jewel. Is going to get is going to get that in their crown. That that Super Bowl win, either the first one of those guys or the second for Mahomes, and that's going to define how we talk about this era. Is which one of these guys was more consistently able to deliver that championship? So, number one thing I'm watching this this postseason is just who makes the run, who gets the bounces, and how do we talk about that player relative to the other two moving forward? I feel like the Bengals. I felt a lot better about them a week ago. I don't like the injuries. Like their offensive line, yep. they had finally figured it out. The moment Collins went out of that game, I didn't feel like their blocking was the same in that Patriots game. Yeah. Their backup right tackle is a young man named Hakeem Adeniji. Hakeem Adeniji had to play for them in the Super Bowl at guard. He was a, or he played for them in the playoffs, excuse me, at guard. He was a uh, target the entire run. And now he's playing at right tackle. 
film wise, not awesome. Like the, the back, the second half of the Patriots. Yeah, it's it's the same thing. Burrow's been so much better this year managing the pocket, managing pressure than he ever was. But absolutely, the Bengals have it. it, it everybody well, that, who's been in the AFC playoffs knows to look for that young man. They got Hurst is banged up. Hubbard's banged up. They have Hendrickson's playing with what a, a wrist cast. He's, does he have broken wrist mm-hmm. still? I don't think that one yeah, got better. And then they lost their club, best yeah. cornerback two months ago. So I, it's like they're one more injury away from being danger, danger, danger. They're not there yet, but I think they're at the injury mm-hmm. capacity because we've seen some of these teams. Tennessee hit that a couple weeks ago. It's like we just have too many injuries now. We can't compete. Yeah. The other thing is that defenses over the last few weeks have gotten the Bengals into the spot that teams got the Chiefs and the Bills last year where they're just throwing to running backs a lot because they're finding ways to blanket the common concept, yeah. take away the downfield stuff, and then because Burrow's playing with with, with increased pace, which is good. It's, it's overall good. There's like a... Like, Joe Mixon's got like nine targets. You know what I'm saying? Against against the uh, the, the the Patriots, right? Samaje so P. Ryan had the big receiving game. They've started to throw the balls to the back more, and that was good. And now it's kind of like, oh, we should maybe force it to T and Jamar a little bit more. Like you got to find where that balance is. And the Chiefs and the Bengals had all... Or excuse me, the Chiefs and the Bills had all of last season to figure that out. The Bengals are just getting here. And you wonder, is there going to be a game they play in the playoffs where the offense only puts up 20, 23, and you go and you look back, and T. Higgins had four or five targets. And you were like, man, what were we doing? What there's, were we thinking? There's a weird we McPherson to piece to this, too. Because he sucked in that pass game. He's had a couple of those this year, whereas last year he was their rock, right? He's the reason they made the Super Bowl over just about anything else. Mm-hmm. I worry about him, and I worry about Zach Taylor, who also makes me nervous. Yeah, I, I just Zach, can't. Well, I will never one hundred percent get there with Zach Taylor. I'm sorry, I just won't. Yeah, I I am nervous about Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. I'm nervous about Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City. Some of the time management stuff this yeah, year. They've not I think, been as great. No, it's it's yeah. been dated back to Philly. They yeah. were doing that, and then I look at that Bills team and just offensively, their designs are so good, and Allen is so good. That line is banged up. It's not playing well. When they hand the ball off, they still aren't good. They've no. never been good. Allen is their best running back. Stephon Diggs is their only good receiver. They're such a hyper-fragile build, except it's worked for them for so long. So you can poke holes in all of them, but it's, it's who goes superhero? Who 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 gets that that ball with 40 seconds left and no timeouts and makes it happen? Well, I, so I, I agree with your three, but I still feel like, you know, to bring it back to the first thing you talked about, the roadmap is there for the Chargers. All of those teams mm-hmm. are beatable and Herbert could just be awesome for three games. We've seen, right. you know, if you're just talking about the history of playoff football, we've seen the awesome guy just be awesome for three games. And I think he could do it against all yeah. three of those teams. And I think that same roadmap, it's it's there to a lesser degree, but it is there for the Ravens who are going to be in a position where the week 18 yeah. Bengals game is almost certainly for I the division. I can't get there with them. And so, and, and right, the offense is just so lacking for talent. But we talk about these star quarterbacks and the way they can impact things. You get a home playoff game, three versus six seed. So you're looking at potentially facing, all right, you might get the Chargers, right? You yeah. might get, you know, uh, you might get Cincinnati. Like, if Cincinnati's is in, in the five seed, I think the Chargers have to be the six seed. So you might get the Chargers. Then you have another home playoff game in the divisional round, potentially. Like, there's, there's a way that... Where are they that, going on third and nine? So fourth quarter, seven minutes left. Yeah. They're down four. They need a drive. Get a holding penalty. Now it's like third and 11 near the Ravens. Yeah. Where are you going? You're going to Mark, Mark Andrews, Andrews. Who, who's yeah. out, who I'm he's, double teaming if I've watched football yeah. all year and on the other team. So, all right, right. I'm, he's, he's out. You can't throw it to him. Yeah. Where am I going? 
You're not interested in Sammy Watkins back I, in a Ravens uniform? I, I am not. I, Devin Duvernay doesn't do it for you? Little I cannot Isaiah take that team seriously. I, I just can't. Yeah. No, I don't even think the Ravens fans could take them seriously. They, I mean, you could. there's an alternate universe of them this season where they have five less wins. You know, I would say they've maximized right. whatever their record should be. So there, there is that alternate universe, but we also have to remember they lost to the Giants on knucklehead turnover late. They had like an 80% chance to win that game. The Bills, they lost after going for it on the fourth down. Bills drive the length of the field. They lost to the Dolphins on like the 28-point fourth quarter. There's a way that the Ravens' record is even better than it is right now because a lot of their losses have been silly stuff. Yeah, so true. I, I, really good coaching and a really unique player that's difficult to game plan against. If they can beat the Bengals in Week 18, Lou Anarumo's typically done a really good job against them, and they can avoid the Bengals in the playoffs, a lot of the defenses in the AFC playoffs have historically not done super well against Lamar. He just he just he presents a different breed of football that everybody else is used to seeing. The sad thing is the door was open this season for the Belichick Pats if it was an old school Belichick team, right? They had the defense, they had the running back, and what they didn't have was the coaching staff and the quarterback. But yeah. They this is the, it's the type of team that I think would have succeeded in the AFC this year, like to win like the 20 to 17 games special teams, don't beat yourself, control the ball, and they're just the opposite of that. So mm -hmm. cross them up. Well, just if the Patriots went out, they make it. Get to January, 0-0, zero, zero, wipe the records. Let's do it. Beat the Bills, week 18. Here we go. I was on multiple Pats fan threads where we were like, would you rather make the playoffs or would you rather lose these last two, go 7-10 and 10 and get like the eighth pick? Yep. All of us picked the eighth pick. All of us. Not one person yep. was like, if we could just get in, like this team sucks. They're not doing anything in the playoffs. I pray yeah. to, the, to the Lord that Kyle will be taking this clip and cutting it, making fun of me six weeks from now when the Pats right. win the Super Bowl. But they're not going to be because they're not good. And that's just In it. terms of my viewing experience, I don't think there's a team in the league I want to see in the playoffs less than the Patriots. I just would not enjoy watching them get just deleted Tan You'd rather by the see Tampa? I think Tampa's, Tampa's okay. unwatchable. Yeah. Oh my god. It's, it's, it's yeah. It's Tampa or or New England. It's one of those two. God. Tampa also. I I watched that entire Cardinals game and it was hated awful. Myself oh, it was the whole time. Awful. It was dreadful. So unfun. All right, Ben Solak. You can hear him on the Ringer NFL show. You can hear him on the Ringer's Philly special, which was just one of the happiest podcasts in the world for about twelve weeks, and now it's starting to get a little grim. Starting a little somber. You can hear the fear in the voices. Uh, good to see you as always. Take care, Bill. All right, that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Kyle Mann. Thanks to Ben Solak. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing. Don't forget, new rewatchables is up. Mission Impossible Fallout. And I'll see you on this feed on Thursday. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... 
once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 